Good morning. My name is Amelia, and I am the Children's Program or River Kids Director here at the River. Welcome. I'm glad that you could join us today. So, does anyone here have a dog? I have a four-year-old Labradoodle. His name is Vinny. And there's one thing that for sure is going to make Vinny very happy, and that is to go for a walk. W-A-L-K. In fact, if Vinny hears the words, Vinny, do you want to go for a Immediately, his ears would perk up, his tail would wax vigorously, as if saying, please say it, just say it, say the word walk. And if the walk happens, it would make him very happy. It would make his day. What about you? What makes you happy? Are you having a good day? Why? Or a bad day? Why? Let's think about next week. Do you want to have a good day or a good week? What needs to happen for you to have a good day or a good week? Everyone wants to have a good day, right? Anyone actually wants to have a bad day? Well, I think it's safe to assume that. Everyone generally has ideas of what needs to happen for them to be happy or to have a good day. We spend a lot of our time, energy, and our resources to make things happen for us, to change our life circumstances, because we believe we'll be happier if we are rich and not poor, if we look more attractive or beautiful, if we have that job, if we are healthier, if we relocate to another city, if we are married or divorced. But if happiness depends on what happens to us, I wonder what we feel when things do not turn out the way that we expect them to. Or, if things really do turn out the way that we expect them to, are we really going to be as happy as we thought we would be? Will our happiness sustain? Sonia Libomirsky, professor of psychology at UC Riverside and a research scientist to studying happiness, says that actually, life circumstances only explain a mere 10% of our happiness. This means that if with a magic wand, I can change a certain life situation for you, your happiness level may be improved by as much as 10%. What? Why do life changes account for so little? Because of a powerful force that psychologists call hedonic adaptation. Human beings are really good at becoming accustomed to sensory and physiological changes. For example, when you walk in from the cold weather outside of this warm building, you may, be, you may feel really good at first. But as you get accustomed to it, 
you may even become overheated. And the same phenomenon occurs with hedonic shifts such as relocation, marriages, job changes, etc. These things may give you a temporary uh, boost in well-being, but they are unlikely to sustain. Because human beings readily, readily and rapidly adapt to the positive circumstantial changes. Now, our genetic set point does have a significant influence on our happiness too, about 50%. Now, this number may sound very surprising to you, but keep in mind these are estimates and also the boundaries of our influences are not always clear, right? We may argue that heritability of happiness does not depend on genetics alone. Our, um, our environment, our geographical location, our circumstances can actually contribute to the heritability of happiness. But what this research says is that life changes do not impact our happiness as much as we expect them to, and that everyone was born with certain dispositions, which means some people may require less or more effort to improve their levels of happiness or to sustain them. So the next question is, what kind of effort? If we cannot alter our genetics, and if our efforts and labors in changing our circumstances do not um, give us lasting happiness, what can we do to effectively improve and sustain our happiness to have a good life? What does the Bible say about this, about our pursuit of happiness that we are so obsessed about? Well, apparently this does not seem to say a lot. In fact, I have to be honest, when I do this sermon, I cannot think of many well-known verses with the word happy. You know, one of those verses that people cross-stitch and put on their wall, on their trophy levels, or maybe nowadays post on Instagram? Well, this really intrigued my curiosity. So I did a simple word search, and there are only 57, 57 happy words in the entire Bible of MRSB. To give you a context, there are over 760,000 words in a typical English translation of the Bible. And um, here are just a couple of them. Happy are those who consider the poor. The Lord delivers them on the day of trouble. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Let's also take a look at verses about joy, because it seems to be the more preferred word in the Bible. There are 196 of them. In the Bible. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures for
forevermore. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Now, helping the poor, relying on others, facing trials. These are not our typical pursuits when we're thinking about improving our life, right? When it comes to happiness or joy, the Bible seems to steer clear from mentioning wealth, success, fame, power, beauty, and comfort. In fact, these verses seem to suggest that true happiness or the more preferred and frequent word joy is not something that we draw from our external circumstances. Joy seems to be something that happens inside out. It bursts outward, either because of our closeness or relationship with God, or because we decide to practice joy intentionally. Now, I'm not saying that we Christians have the monopoly on happiness or joy. In fact, many Christians, including myself, at times can feel miserable, sad, or angry when we encounter challenges. Christians do not have special immunity against um, pains and struggle of this world. But if we are open to believing that there's something bigger than ourselves, bigger than our circumstances, and our understanding, and we intentionally exercise this, what I would call our faith muscle, we will build resilience against hard things and expand our capacity for compassion there was a season in my life when things were really hard and more difficult and I felt a lot of anger and sadness sometimes too much to the point I felt like I was almost sick and I remember thinking that I cannot go on like this because I would eventually become sick for real and it would be unhelpful for my family, for myself, for all others. So one day, as I prayed, a picture came to mind. And it's a picture of a big bowl of soup, full of yummy and nutritious goodness. I mean, a giant bowl of soup, bubbling. Looks like it could fit everyone in this room and would make them full and very happy. Now, I'm not sure why this picture came to mind. It's possible that I was hungry or maybe I was not feeling very well. But that mental picture became my coping tool for the many weeks and months to come. 
every time I feel weak, sad, sick, or lacking in any way, I would imagine this picture of a big bottle of soup and how it feeds me, how it strengthens me, and how it allows me to think, to feel, and to behave in ways that are not typical in my difficult circumstances. Faith has helped me in believing that there is abundance of peace, hope, joy, and love. And it's possible for me and for my soul that a picture of a big bowl of soup was exactly the picture that I needed for my situation. It is a picture of an accessible divine abundance. Now, having faith does not mean that we're happy all the time or that we deny our needs. So, if we need to change our jobs, if we need to relocate to another city or leave a certain situation, maybe you should do that. Or maybe if you need time to cry, be angry, or you just complain, Absolutely fine too. That is why one of the verses earlier was one of my favorite. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Faith has helped me to recognize my humanity, which means I may be. Faith has helped me embrace my limitations, which may mean I was, probably would spend whole night crying. While at the same time, faith also gives me an assurance that joy is so near, that joy is just around the corner. Our researcher, Ribomirsky says that the remaining 40% of our happiness is determined by our behavior, our intentional activities. And in her book, she outlined 12 different habits or practices that genuinely happy people do. And I'm going to show just several that I want you to think about for a little bit as I invite the worship team to come to the front. Please consider one or two practices from the list that you feel would be most helpful for you. Whether it is developing a habit of gratitude, nurturing a friendship, or journaling every life's little joys, I hope that as we exercise our faith muscle with intentionality in our circumstances, we will expand our capacity to see hope 
when it's hard to find it, to feel at peace in the middle of chaos, to feel love even when you're alone, and to be joyful without needing something to happen for us. So let me close this sermon with a prayer. God, thank you for gathering us in this space. Thank you for the joy of fellowship, for the comfort of old and new friends. Of you, our source of joy that is so near.